Word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from the letter to the Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered prayers and pleas with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. After he was brought to his goal, he became the source of eternal salvation for everyone who obeys him because he was designated by God as a high priest like Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, one of the hottest of the hot button issues or or words that is used frequently today is the term injustice. Injustice. Injustice is really nothing new, but our our world and especially our culture here in America seems to be especially sensitive to injustice these days, doesn't it? Children especially are sensitive to injustice, right? They they know from the, the time they can Even before they can speak, from the moment they can communicate, they know when something is not fair, when someone takes a toy that belongs to them, when when their brother or sister got to choose the movie last time, and so it's their time. They, They have a very sensitive conscience towards injustice, but they're not alone either, are they? We're going on a year now. There have been mobs of people throughout our country who have protested and even rioted because They believe that the death of George Floyd at the hands of police officers in Minneapolis was unjust. On the other hand, on January 6th, mobs of people walked into the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C. illegally because they thought, in their view, that the election results were unfair and unjust. Whether it's somebody cutting you off on the highway or being passed over a promotion, there are very few things in life that can get us as fired up as quickly as something that we perceive to be unjust, especially when it affects us personally. But no matter what injustices we may have faced and will face in our life, none of them compare to the injustice that our Savior faced during his life. He faced injustice not only from his enemies, but from the church, from the government, and even from God himself. And unlike us, Jesus didn't rise up to riot. He didn't incite a protest on account of this injustice that he was suffering. Rather, he submitted to it. And because he did, because he submitted to that injustice in his life, He not only accomplished our salvation, satisfying God's justice for us, but he also leaves us some lessons that we can learn about submitting to injustice. These few verses of the book of Hebrews offer us a a sneak peek of sorts into one of the deepest mysteries of the Christian faith that is the the two natures of Christ, that on the one hand he is true God and on the other he is true man and he is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. 
And it's a mystery that we cannot comprehend, and yet the author to the Hebrews describes it a little bit for us. He says, in the days of his flesh, now that, that's during Jesus' humility on earth, during his life in the flesh on earth, Jesus offered prayers and pleas with loud cries and tears. Now, why did he do that? I, th I think the author of the Hebrews is pointing us to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed and pleaded with his father three times. Why was, why was Jesus so heartfelt in his prayers? Well, because as true God, he knew exactly what lay ahead of him, the, the whip and the crown of thorns and the mockery and the spit and, and the cross. And on the other hand, his humanity recoiled from it, was repulsed by it, as of course anyone would be. And we don't have to guess at what Jesus' prayers were that he offered. The, the gospel writers tell us, as we heard in our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus said, now my soul is troubled. And then when we get into the Garden of Gethsemane, the gospel writers tell us, Jesus said, my soul is very sorrowful even to the point of death. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup away from me. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed with such fervor that Luke tells us that his sweat was like drops of blood. Have you ever prayed with such intensity, such fervor, that you were, you were physically exhausted when you got done? Have you ever broken a sweat because you were praying so passionately? I have not, I'll be honest. I've never sweated when I was praying. Is that a problem? Yes. Not, not the sweating blood part. I don't think any one of us could cause ourselves to sweat blood. But the, the passionate part, the devoted part, the, the frequent part, the trusting and submitting part of prayer that is so often lacking in our lives. See, when it comes to our prayer lives, we can fall into one of two ditches, as far as I can tell. There's the, the, the ditch of neglecting prayer. Of relegating prayer as something that happens here on Sunday mornings, maybe, maybe once in a while, before we eat a meal and after we eat a meal. But besides that, the prayer is not really a part of our life. But why would we neglect prayer? Now James says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If, if that's what prayer is, if it's powerful and effective, why would we neglect it? I, I think there are really two reasons. On one hand, we're proud. Our sinful pride doesn't want to have to ask for help, not even from God who, who wants to help us in our time of need. And on the other hand, I think we underestimate the power of prayer. We, we really lack faith. We doubt. We distrust that, that when we pray to God, He really hears us and He really wants to answer us and He will answer us. And as a result of those two things, our, our sinful pride and our sinful lack of trust in God we neglect our prayer life, or at best, we, we treat prayer as a, as a very last resort. Imagine if you, if you communicated with your spouse the way that we often communicate with our Father in Heaven. Sporadically at best, usually only when you have something to complain about or you really need something. I don't think that marriage would last very long. On the other hand, you could fall into the ditch on the other side, you have a very consistent, faithful prayer life. In fact, you know the Lord's Prayer. You know Luther's morning and evening prayers. You know the table prayers so well 
you've gotten to the point you don't even have to think about them anymore. And that's not a good thing either. Jesus warned about that kind of prayer. He said in Matthew, Do not babble like the heathen, since they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So if, if we are speaking the prayer, pay attention as we're saying the Lord's Prayer later on in our service today. Are you really thinking about what you're saying? If not, if you're just giving lip service to that prayer, that's what God hears from you. It's just babbling. We so often fall into one of those two ditches, don't we? That, that we become neglectful from, of prayer or we, or we don't focus on what we are praying for. And that's a problem because those are both sins against the second commandment. We are not using God's name as he wants us to use it. And in fact, our problematic prayer life is part of the reason that Jesus was suffering so terribly there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was suffering because of our sins, including our sins of neglecting prayer, of babbling in prayer, our sins against the second commandment. The weight of the sins of the world had descended upon him, even though he didn't deserve any of it. And what did he do? He didn't protest. He didn't riot. No, he prayed. He prayed to the one who could save him from death. Jesus knew that his disciples who were just a stone's throw away from him in that garden had fallen asleep. He knew that Judas was coming with that mob of soldiers to arrest him. He knew that it was just hours now before he would be nailed hand and foot to that cross. And so he prayed to the only one who could help him, to his Father in heaven. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard because of his submission. He didn't protest the injustice of it all. Rather, he submitted to his Father's will. He demonstrated a perfect prayer life because we have not. But Jesus, Jesus sweated those drops of blood. He, he, he poured out his heart to his Father with tears and pleas and shouts of pain. And he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. He did it because we have often so, so often had a neglectful prayer life. Now that his, he has done that, his obedience, his perfect prayer life covers us so that now God sees you as his perfectly prayerful child. Of course, we're not in Jesus' exact situation either, are we? More often than not, what we perceive as injustice in our lives is not injustice at all. Oftentimes, the things we suffer in our lives are, are the result of our own sinful actions. And if you want to talk about justice in this life, recognize that the only justice we really deserve from God is to suffer miserably during our lifetime here on earth and to follow it up with suffering eternity in hell. We're hardly people who can protest or shout against injustice in our lives. But even so, Jesus can teach us some things about prayer, can't he? Throughout his life, he prayed in good times and in bad. He prayed night and day. He prayed for himself and he prayed for others. He, he obeyed his Father's command to pray without ceasing. And even though he pleaded with his Father, like he did in that Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Father, if there is another way, take this cup from me. He always submitted himself to his Father's will. Now you might say, well, a lot of good that did him. He still ended up nailed to a tree. Apparently God didn't want to answer this prayer. 
That's where we'd be wrong. God did answer Jesus' prayer. You know what His answer was? No. No, there is no other way. There is no other way for my people to be saved other than for you to drink the cup of my wrath that they deserve. We have to be grateful that God gave him that response. We have to be grateful that Jesus didn't rise up in rebellion and resentment against that response because if Jesus had not suffered, our salvation would be lost. Whatever injustices you've faced in your life, whatever you're facing right now, learn to submit from Jesus. Learn to submit, first of all, in prayer. Pray frequently, pray confidently. Most of all, pray that you may submit to your Father's will because you know, as Jesus did, that His will is always best. That's a powerful lesson that Jesus gives us on prayer. Just as powerful is the lesson that He gives us in obedience. The author of the Hebrews says, Although He was the Son, He learned obedience from the things He suffered. Isn't that another place where your mind just explodes over the fact that you know that Jesus is both true God and true man? How does the all-knowing Son of God learn anything? The one who was there at the creation of the world, the one who was the Word of God, the, the one who was the author of the Bible, how does he learn anything? Learn he did. And his classroom was one of suffering. Why did Jesus have to learn obedience? You know, when you're talking to children about learning obedience, is because they haven't been obedient. Go sit on a timeout so you can learn how to listen a little bit better. We send criminals into the prison system so that they learn to be obedient. Had Jesus ever been disobedient? Of course not. In fact, the, the proof is overwhelming of how innocent Jesus was. The Sanhedrin spent hours struggling to fabricate something, some crime to charge Jesus with. Pilate said over and over and over again, this man is innocent. I can see no reason why anything should be done to him, much less he should be crucified. Even the, the centurion, after Jesus died, looked up and said, yeah, surely this was the Son of God. Jesus had never done anything wrong, and yet he learned obedience through suffering. What are we to make of that? Well, again, if we're, if we're placing these words as, as the things that were going through Jesus' mind in the Garden of Gethsemane, we could say up to this point, from, from his conception up to this point, he had been perfectly obedient to his Father. But he hadn't yet been fully obedient. As Paul says in Philippians 2, he hadn't yet reached the point where he had been obedient up to the point of death, even death on a cross. One translator paraphrases this verse this way. He says, And even though Jesus was God's Son, he had to learn from experience what it was like to obey when obeying meant suffering. So if Jesus can learn obedience through suffering, what does that mean for us? It means we better get to class, right? Jesus, the fact that Jesus suffered both in Gethsemane and on Mount Calvary proves to us that we're never going to be exempt from suffering in this life. There's no place we can go in this world to escape from suffering. You will suffer, I will suffer, there will be painful events 
in our futures. The question is, how are you going to react to those situations, especially when the suffering feels to you to be unjust? Because I'll tell you what, just like Jesus, you know, on, on Tuesday in our Gospel lesson, on Tuesday of Holy Week, he understood. He faced it down. He said, should I pray for my Father to spare me from this? Nope, I'm not going to because this is the whole reason I came. He was preparing himself, stealing himself for that time in the Garden of Gethsemane, just so for us. When you're out there and you're suffering, that is not the time to start thinking about your reaction to it. Right here and right now is. You're going to suffer. God's people are promised to suffer in this life. How are you going to deal with it? But Jesus shows us, right? He shows us the obedience of faith. He, he trusted His Father's wisdom that His will was best and He leaned on Him for help. So that when it seems so unfair to you that you work and you work and you work and you just can't get ahead financially, the lesson for you to learn is to trust that God will provide. He's promised to provide your daily bread. When, when the pain just lingers, when it's become chronic, when sickness after sickness after sickness strike, when you're in, day, in the hospital for days on end, learn the lesson, right? What's that lesson? This body is just a temporary tent. This world is not your home. It's God's lesson to you. Look, look to heaven. That's your true home where there will be no more pain or sorrow or tears. When you're betrayed by friends or family or colleagues, the lesson to learn is that you can't really rely on other people. In fact, there's not a verse in the Bible that tells us to place our trust in other people but rather learn the lesson to rely on God as your helper, as your refuge and your fortress, who is always there and never will abandon you. Whether it means that you're failing every course in God's classroom, in His school of hard knocks, in His school of suffering, when you feel like you're failing at everything, then then you need to do the most important thing, and that is turn to Jesus. This is what, how the author of Hebrews closes with talking about Jesus, who after he was brought to his goal, he became the source of eternal salvation for everyone who obeys him. What was Jesus' goal? As we heard on Wednesday, his goal was not to live, his goal was to die. His goal was to carry your sins to that cross so that he could pay for them once and for all, that he might become the eternal source of the source of eternal salvation for us and for all the world. That is why when you're feeling the weight of injustice, when you're suffering, the place to go is the cross. That's where Jesus suffered for you. That's where Jesus meets you in your suffering. That's where that's where you can see through the veil of suffering and see the glory that is hidden behind it because at the cross you see and you find your forgiveness, your life, and your salvation. Now, if you're listening very closely to that, that second to last verse, verse 9 in Hebrews, something may have struck you as odd. Eternal salvation, the source of eternal salvation to those who obey. What's that about? I, I thought... Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. I thought Paul said, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. What is this about obeying? 
A little context will help here. This letter was written to Hebrews, that is, to Jews. And since they had converted to Christianity, they were undergoing persecution. At some points in, in the early first century, Christianity was, was outlawed in the Roman Empire, but Judaism was tolerated. And so they were being tempted to go back to Judaism, to go back to that religion of rules and law to, to place their hope for the, their salvation in what they do. And in doing so, they were forfeiting Jesus and what he had done, and they were, they were disobeying the very most basic command of God. What's the most basic of God's commands? It's wrapped up in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. The Apostle John puts it this way. This then is his command, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. This is not a command about works. This is the obedience of faith. Actually, the, the Greek term for obey there is related to the, the term for hearing, listening. And so the obedience that is commanded here is listen. When Jesus says from that cross, it is finished, you listen and you say amen. Yes, it is. My salvation is finished. That's what sustains us through our times of suffering in this life. No matter what injustices we face, and we will face them, this is what keeps us going, is that our salvation is secure, that it is finished, and by God's grace, we believe it. Now, let's be honest. As we walk out those doors, our prayer life is not going to be perfect. We're going to fail. We're going to be neglectful. We're going to speak the words of the Lord's Prayer, maybe even some of us today, and not really think about it. We're going to fail to submit to our Father's will. We know that. That's why Jesus suffered. That's why he cried out and pleaded with his Father. But most importantly, that's why he submitted to his Father's will. He suffered so that we wouldn't. He, he endured hell so that we never would. He paid for our sins because we can't do it. And that's the gospel. That gospel, good news, is what fuels our prayer life. It what, it's what makes us go to our Father regularly and passionately. That's what enables us to be obedient and submissive to our Father's will. And we think about it. Jesus on the cross endured the greatest injustice in human history. And He did it to save us. It kind of makes whatever injustices you face in your life seem pretty minor in relation, right? So learn the lessons from Jesus this morning. Learn to submit. Submit to your Father in prayer. Submit to Him with your obedience. Most of all, look to Jesus as the source of eternal salvation. The one who one of these days is going to come and take you out of this unjust world forever. Amen.